Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Listen. The shops are shuttered. Tumbleweed blows silently down the aisles of the out-of-town malls. The furniture stores, the cheap and cheerful dress emporiums, the yoga mat and exercise accessories outlets, all cemetery quiet. Shh. But Amazon is open. It never closes. It only grows. This idea that Amazon is built for a pandemic, obviously that's not what Jeff Bezos started out thinking about, but it is the company for this extraordinary time and place. Corona Christmas is coming and one goose is getting fat. The online retail colossus Amazon is recording fabulous profits and employing ever more workers. Even if the pandemic eases next year, is there no limit on this company's ambitions for us? You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm David Aronovich. Today, can anything halt Jeff Bezos and the growth of his Amazon empire? I am Danny Fortson. I'm the West Coast correspondent for The Sunday Times. I'm actually in Oakland, which is just across the bay from San Francisco. And... It's winter, so I guess it's really sunny there, right? I am wearing a t-shirt. It is sunny and blue skies. It's very, very California. So not to give you too much envy there, but I know it's it's been very British weather there lately. <laughs> yes, I'm afraid you won't avoid the envy. <laughs> Dan is our man out in the sunshine, oranges and silicon of California. And he's been looking at how one business, Amazon, is making hay during the pandemic. Here in Britain... Christmas is the time when shops do their best business. Not this year. Last week, the British Retail Consortium estimated the lockdown restrictions are costing businesses more than £2 billion a week. Job cuts and store closures have been announced, among others, by Sainsbury's, John Lewis and Marks and & Spencer already. And it's estimated that since the first lockdown in March this year, around one in eight shops never reopened. Amazon, on the other hand... They recently revealed their financial figures for the last three months, going through the end of September. And during that period, they brought in $96 billion. That's their revenue. And then their income, their profits, tripled to $6.3 billion, which is just really extraordinary. And it really just underlines the kind of the breadth and size of this empire. 
everybody knows them for their little boxes that show up on your doorstep with the Amazon Smile logo, but they do a lot of other things. They are the biggest data storage company in the world through AWS. A bunch of companies use this kind of infrastructure to run their websites. They have a full Hollywood film and television studio, which has won Academy Awards. They've sold more than 100 million Alexa voice assistants, which I'm sure many of our listeners have in their homes right now. A lot of what they do is what they call marketplace. They just process sales for third parties, which is actually more than half of their business. So lots of small businesses sell via Amazon. They really are just this behemoth of all behemoths. You'd actually have to live under a stone in the Kalahari not to actually use an Amazon product. Pretty much. What's really interesting is you just think about this company. It's 26 years old, and it has kind of become a utility. You know, you have your water bill, you have your gas and electric, you have your internet, and you have your Amazon Prime. And especially during COVID, growth has exploded, and it's really become a lifeline for a lot of people. I have two young kids, and my wife is trying to support local businesses and trying to avoid using Amazon just because it's become so massive. But we have boxes showing up every day, pretty much. And I don't think we're alone in that. You're based in and around Silicon Valley. And you've been reporting for a long time on big tech companies making very large profits over the years. But that has been, by and large, taking place in in a world where things are going relatively well. Now, we have the pandemic and we have the economic slowdown as a result. It must be very bizarre being in Silicon Valley around those tech companies now because they're living a different life. It's extraordinary because, you know, the world is burning around us, especially when you think about economics and, of course, the pandemic and all the lives being lost, etc. And then you look at these four or five companies, Amazon, Facebook, Google, Apple, they are having the best time in their histories. And when you stop and think about it, it makes sense. These lockdown measures to one degree or another are in place around the world. And we're living through our devices in a way to an extent that we had not previously. And the biggest beneficiaries of this kind of mass behavior change are these platforms that are kind of, in a way, built for a pandemic. They're built for a life that is mediated by technology, which is what we've all been forced to do. That's a really interesting observation that they are actually built for a pandemic, because I suppose in addition to saying why they might worry us, I suppose we have also to understand about how much worse this pandemic might have been if they hadn't existed. Well, yeah. So if you think about, uh, and this isn't necessarily an Amazon question, but if you think, for example, Facebook in the last six months, they have added 3 million advertisers to their platform. And these are, by and large, small businesses who have had to close. And so they have nowhere else to go. They, and they can go on Amazon. They can find people to try to buy and sell their products. And the same with Amazon. Their profits have tripled. They've hired 175,000 people since this pandemic started. And they are closing in on being a million-employee company. And this is a company that five years ago had 230,000 people, quadrupling in the space of four or five years. Meanwhile, you look at, say, cinema companies or all of these kind of real world bricks and mortar companies who are firing thousands of people. 
And Amazon is hiring 175,000 people in that same period. The contrast could not be more stark. And if you go back to this idea that Amazon is built for a pandemic, obviously that's not what Jeff Bezos started out thinking about, but it is just, it's, it is the company for this extraordinary time and place. So let's talk about Jeff Bezos. I don't actually really know very much about him. Firstly, I guess he's now absurdly rich. He's the richest man in the world. He is worth, at last count, $177 billion, which is you know, not bad going. Let's remind ourselves of what a billion dollars is. <laughs> How much is a billion dollars? Is it, a, is it 100 million? Is it 1,000 million? It's a thousand million. A hundred and seventy-seven thousand million dollars. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's just, it, it kind of boggles the mind. Actually, boggle doesn't quite do it. And it came from nothing. Bezos, as you're about to hear, came from a relatively humble background. My mom is a saint because she would you know, drive me to Radio Shack, you know, multiple times a day to the point where she would finally say, okay, look... Will you please get your parts list straight <laughs> before we go? You know, I can't handle more than one trip to Radio Shack per day. This is a guy who, he was born in New Mexico to a teenage mother. She and his father, who was, I think, believe 18, and he was a unicyclist, so didn't have great prospects back in the day. But they did get married. It didn't last very long. I think they got divorced when little Jeff was something like two, and then she remarried to a man named Miguel Bezos, and so he took on his name. The family moved to Houston in Texas. Bezos attended high school and was obviously a bright cookie because next stop was the prestigious Ivy League college Princeton University on the East Coast. And then in his mid-20s, he started at a little, at the time, a little new hedge fund called D.E. Shaw. And he was put in charge of researching this new thing called the Internet. And he was just convinced that this was going to revolutionize the world. And he made a list of the 20 things or the 20 industries that were most primed for disruption. And he chose books. Well, three years ago, I was in New York City working for a quantitative hedge fund when I came across the startling statistic that web usage was growing at 2,300% a year. So I decided I would try and find a business plan that made sense in the context of that growth. And I picked books as the first best product to sell online because books, of course, at the time were still sold in big, fusty stores or little, fusty stores. And he thought, oh, if I could do this online, this would be, I could kind of take over this industry. And that's exactly what he did when he set up Amazon out of his garage in 1994. He always saw that books were just the first thing, did he? That was the first step. In 1997, the company went public. This was not even quite yet the height of internet mania, the first dot-com bubble, but it went public in 1997, and he wrote what is now a very famous shareholder letter where he laid out his philosophy and his kind of plan for global domination. It centers around this idea of what he calls day one. And his day one philosophy is basically always treat your company as if it's the first day that it's ever existed. This letter, he reprints it every year in their annual report, and it's become a kind of business lore that people read over and over again as a kind of inspiration. And in one of his subsequent letters, he talks about what day two looks like. He says, day two is stasis. And you said that day two is stasis, followed by irrelevance, followed by excruciatingly painful decline, followed by death. 
Yeah. That is why it is always day one. Yeah. I, so, I, yeah. How's that work? Well, so day one, um, this is a phrase that we use at Amazon all the time. I've been using it since my first annual shareholder letter from 20 years ago. Um, and we say it's always day one. And it needs to be day one for the reason that you just mentioned. Um, and how do you, so the real question for me is how do you go about maintaining a day one culture? That gives you a sense of just this kind of paranoia that drives him. In other words, you've got to keep moving because if you stop for any reason, you're over. Absolutely. That means that one of the things that we can see embedded in the whole Amazon thing is restlessness. Institutional restlessness. When he first started the Hollywood studio, people were like, what are you doing? Why are you starting a streaming video company? He famously said that when I win an Academy Award, that helps me sell more shoes. And so again, you kind of get these little nuggets where you're like, oh, so this is all part of the same thing of just trying to get basically a slice of all economic activity, wherever it may be, and just being very systematic and creating this machine that creates these products that lure more and more people in. It must be exhausting to be him. It sounds extremely exhausting. This is not a company for everyone. They're employing nearly a million people, but there's pretty high churn because it is relentless. And if you are not relentless, it's not the place for you. Last year, Bezos and his wife Mackenzie, who he'd been married to for 25 years, got a divorce. He now lives with his new girlfriend, TV host and helicopter pilot Lauren Sanchez, in a property in Beverly Hills in Southern California. I call it a property because can you really call something that's reported to have cost a record $165 million a house? But despite the divorce and upheaval of this year, Bezos's ambition is undimmed. The sky, it seems, is literally not the limit. The good news is that if we move out into the solar system, for all practical purposes, we have unlimited resources. So, we get to choose. Do we want stasis and rationing? Or do we want dynamism and growth? He has said publicly he's going to sell a billion dollars of his stock per year to fund his private space company, which is Blue Origin. And this is all part of his grand desire, his long-term desire, to, of course, colonize outer space. If we're out in the solar system, we can have a trillion humans in the solar system, which means we'd have a thousand Mozarts and a thousand Einsteins. This would be an incredible civilization. Why does he want to do that? The short version is he thinks we are destroying planet Earth and as a species we must become intergalactic. As I say these words, I sound ridiculous saying them, but <laughs> this is actually what he says with a very straight face. What could this future look like? Where would a trillion humans live? Well, it's very interesting. And he's even talked about building these floating colonies out in space. And he calls them, you know, this is like Maui on its best day, T-shirt weather. There's these enclosed, giant, gyrating, floating colonies. Some of them would be more recreational. They don't have to have the same gravity. You could have a recreational one that keeps zero G so that you can go flying with your own wings. Some would be national parks. These are really pleasant places to live. He really thinks this, this is going to happen, and he feels like it is incumbent upon him to make it happen. Can I just get one thing straight before we, we move on, or to, so that I can kind of imagine it? With this space company, has he actually built anything yet? Yeah. 
They built space capsules. They built a lunar lander, which he unveiled last year. And he is talking about landing that on the moon in the relatively near future. They've built rockets. So as ever with space and rockets and all this very hard stuff, it's been delayed. They have a very large contract with NASA. Wow. And he is funding that effectively with the change back down that he found at the, you know, in, in the sofa. <laughs> Do you think he plans to go up there himself? Absolutely. Absolutely. At least as a tourist. Beyond that, whether he actually wants to colonize, I mean, I feel like his colonization plans are probably a bit further out. They might not happen while he's alive, but he certainly wants to kind of start that fire. I'm interested in what you say, what his reasons for this are. Hmm. Um, his reasons, as I understood it from what you just said, is that he thinks that this planet may be doomed and we'd better get colonizing somewhere else. Yeah. I mean, he says that very clearly. What happens when unlimited demand meets finite resources? The answer is incredibly simple. Rationing. That's the path that we would be on. And that path does not lead. It would lead for the first time to where your grandchildren and their grandchildren would have worse lives than you. That's a bad path. And what's interesting, of course, is you have this giant company who, which is all about delivering things instantaneously. There's got to be a better way to do that than like sending a gas guzzling van around. You know, that said, last year he put in an order for 100,000 electric vans, which is the biggest order that's ever been made for electric vehicles. Environment is something that he is talking more about. He is personally has not put much toward this, although he has started some new funds to start investing in some of this stuff. And it is clearly something that he is thinking about and trying to figure out a way to kind of address. But of course, Amazon, it has a big fleet of delivery vehicles and planes and ships and has people out on the road every day. It is a big polluter, if you will, but um, he, it is clearly something that he's thinking about. We'll pause now, and we'll be back in a moment to look at some of Amazon's business practices. In the meantime, though, if you're enjoying today's podcast and want more stories from writers like Danny, why not get an online subscription? Subscribe to The Times and The Sunday Times today and get one month free. Just go to thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist. 
specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How did get 30, 30, how get 30, how get 20, 20, 20, how get 20, 20, how get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Earlier this year, Jeff Bezos found himself up before Congress, summoned alongside the CEOs of Google, Facebook and Apple. Why? America is a pretty divided place politically right now, but increasingly one of the few common grounds that is being found between Republicans and Democrats is this idea that big tech is too big, that it is crushing competition that they have basically become monopolies in one form or another in their various industries. And so they brought the CEOs of the four biggest companies, Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon, to testify. Mr. Bezos, you may begin. Thank you, Chairman Cicilline, Ranking Member Sensenbrenner, and members of the subcommittee. I was born into great wealth, not monetary wealth, but instead the wealth of a loving family, a family that fostered my curiosity and encouraged me to dream big. My mom, Jackie, had me when she was a 17-year-old high school student in Albuquerque. Being pregnant in high school was not popular. Now, usually these are kind of political theater where you have a procession of congressmen, grandstanding, et cetera. And that's largely what it was. But the, the concern around Amazon, beyond just its market power, is how it treats its workers. They are extremely and aggressively anti-union. And they've been very, very clear about this. And at the same time of being, you know, employing some pretty aggressive tactics to prevent unions from forming, one of the common refrains of the people in the warehouse is that they treat us like robots. They're under extreme time pressure they have this automated system that tracks your productivity. If there's too much, as they call it, time off task, T-O-T, it generates an automated message, kind of a ding on your record. A lot of what campaigners say is just like there's a higher injury rate, exhaustion rate. There's been stories of people having to urinate in bottles because they don't have time to take a, a bathroom break. We asked Amazon about this. They told us... Employees are allowed to use the toilet whenever they choose. We do not monitor toilet breaks. They are growing so fast. Again, as we said at the top, 175,000 new workers in the space of, you know, six to nine months. They're adding people and opening warehouses at an astonishing rate. But again, it is grueling and for some people dangerous work, not least during COVID. They've had at least eight Amazon warehouse workers die from COVID complications. What did he have to say? I mean, did, did he just say, no, we're really great, we're not at all monopolistic, don't worry about us, we treat everybody great? Or was his approach more sophisticated than that? I mean, broadly, it was the former. He didn't get a ton of questions that he couldn't answer. And if he couldn't, he said, oh, well, I'll get back to you. 
but he just generally said, yes, we are a force for good in society, in the economy. We're hiring lots of people. We treat them well. It wasn't a particularly taxing event for him, being one of four and Facebook being there as well. Mark Zuckerberg got most of the questions. Did you get any impression about how the politicians regarded Bezos as he was testifying and Amazon? The fact that he provides so many jobs and is such a growth area means that they might not want to criticise him too much because they might not want to kill the golden goose. And yet, on the other hand, the monopolistic problem is real. Did you get any sense of how they were feeling about him? Yeah, it's really interesting. It's exactly that tension, right? They are now one of the largest employers in America, and it is one of the most globally important companies, and it's an American company, so it's going out and kind of brand America around the world, so they all recognize that. But they also recognize these very real tensions. You know, one of the issues that did come up in the testimony was this idea of Amazon has just visibility into what people buy, what they like, that no other company has, because they have half of this stuff that is sold via their website is from third parties. And there's been some reports that what they do is they mine this data. They look at, oh, this little company over here is selling, let's say, for example, a pair of sandals that people really like. We're just going to copy that, make our own, and sell them at a discount and drive that company out of business because it's more lucrative for us to sell those sandals directly rather than as an agent for a third party. So this idea of using their data trove to see what other products are selling well on their platform and then making it themselves and selling it for less. And so that is clearly something where everybody was saying, well, that's actually, that is problematic. You have an advantage and you're killing small businesses. I've actually spoken to some people in the, in the retail world about this and you, you can paint the picture, right? You can see how, where this goes. If you know, Amazon knows that I have kids because we order diapers through them and various other kids stuff. And you can see a world where the algorithms get so good where they can actually start just sending you stuff. And then if you don't want it, you can send it back or whatever it may be, but it can start to predict what you need and just send it before you even ask. That future is not that far off if that's the way they want to go because they have the data. Their big innovation was the one-click purchase. You just press one button and it's a thank you for your purchase. It could be the no-click purchase. That could be our future. The no-click purchase. Yeah. And that is something that people in the retail world have openly spoke about as like, that's where they see this going. We're coming into the Christmas shopping season and everybody's going to go bonkers with Amazon and it's going to do even better in the next few months than it has done before. Is there any cloud on the Amazon horizon at all? Not that I can see. It's very hard to think about what might upend them. As we all go, as you say, go bonkers on Amazon over the coming weeks and months, it's worth thinking about what the cost of that next day delivery is. Because if you go back, you know, 10 years, 15 years, Amazon has really trained us to expect ultimate convenience. You know, it wasn't that long ago that ordering something and getting it a week later was quite normal. And now if it is not there within two days and often day, times a day, it's disappointing. And it's made everybody up their game, which is, you know, which isn't a bad thing, but there is a cost when you think about those warehouse workers peeing in a bottle because they don't have enough time to take a break. There is a cost 
to our Amazon addiction. And that's what it is. So I think if anything is going to slow them down, it could be labor organizing. It could be these million people saying, you know what, we are going to form a labor union. We are going to fight back. And that is a tension that is growing. And thus far, Amazon has been very, very good at snuffing that out. But it is growing in this idea that it treats its workers, especially in warehouses, as quote-unquote robots. That is a very real tension that is growing, and that is something that Amazon is going to have to address. During the making of this podcast, we contacted Amazon and put to them some of the concerns Danny talks about. They told us our jobs come with excellent pay, comprehensive benefits and great career opportunities, while they also refute claims they're anti-union. They added that Amazon is a safe place to work and that during the pandemic, they've invested $800 million in safety measures. We also asked if they used third-party data to help undercut competitors. They told us they strictly do not use such practices. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, David Aronovich, and my guest, Danny Fortson, the Sunday Times West Coast correspondent. You can read more of Danny's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print on Sundays. The producers were Will Rowe and Leona Hamid. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Carla Patella. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or Acast. And now we're available on the Times Radio app, along with all the other podcasts from the Times. To download the app, search for Times Radio on your app store. See you again soon. Subscribe today and get one month free at thetimes.co.uk forward slash stories of our times.